0: When you hear the Word of God, does it spur you on to follow Him? Do you take His Word in your heart and say, yes, by the help of the Spirit of God, I'm going to give my all to trusting the promises of Jesus and obeying the Word of Jesus?
1: You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller, and glad that you are with us today. Jonathan, I think sometimes when we go through some of the struggles of life, we know that we need to go to God's word to find that encouragement. Maybe we even do because we know that that's what we quote unquote should do as a good Christian believer. Uh, But to the person who's going to be honest enough to say, sometimes I feel like that's not necessarily helping me in my struggle right now, Um, but I, I know it should. What is the a good response for the person who says, "I know God's word should meet me and can meet me in my struggle, but I don't feel like it's doing it right now"? There are always seasons
0: for the believer in in the Christian life, and sometimes we will be going through seasons where things seem smooth and and easy, and we find you know we open up the pages of Scripture and it's just nourishing right away, and we're encouraged by it. And then there are those seasons where it's a little bit more of a slog in every way. And it's interesting to me that the writer to the Hebrews uses the language of striving hmm. when he uh, describes some of the challenge of the Christian life and what it's going to look like for us to persevere. And there are those days where actually the Christian life does not feel like gliding or coasting, but it requires striving. And I think on those days, we turn to the Word of God as a matter of of discipline and and not simply of... of instinct if you like. There there are some days where we have to say to us, I I, I need the Word of God to sustain and encourage me. I need to hear what God would say to me. I may not even feel like it this morning, but I believe that that's going to do me good, and it's going to be part of the way in which I strive forward toward the heavenly goal. And I think that's what we need to keep hold of in seasons like that.
1: I think that's uh, such an encouragement to hear that, to have that realistic expectation and to know that uh, sometimes it is an act of obedience that God uh, honors and meets us in our obedience. Well, today we're gonna continue to look at this message entitled God's Promised Rest. We're in the book of Hebrews chapter four. So grab a Bible and join us there. Here is Jonathan. Jonathan.
0: On Thursday, we had a service of thanksgiving here at the church for our oldest living member at the time, a lady who attended the first meeting in 1931 when she was 11 years old. lady who walked with the Lord as part of this church all her life, really. A saint who's now completed the journey, finished the race, persevered to the end in this pilgrimage of faith, who's finally arrived in the eternal rest of God. Now, that's what the writer wants to see happen in each and every one of our lives. He wants to see us keep going. He wants to see us persevere right to the end, and so he calls us, he exhorts us, let us strive. Let us make every effort Our son recently made it onto the school cross-country team. From my own perspective, I've come to see that that is both good news and bad news at the same time. It's good news because it's a very nice achievement for him and a great opportunity. I'm very pleased for him. But less conveniently, he has decided to nominate me as his training partner. (laughs) And that right there, that is the bad news in the story. He's decided that getting up early on these chilly mornings to go for a run with me is the best way to train and the best way to improve. And I'm I'm beginning to realize that he means business. We went for our first run the other day. And for me, you know, going for a run in the neighborhood, which, which happens occasionally, going for a run in the neighborhood involves a certain amount of rather strained jogging and normally also a fair bit of walking just to kind of recover. In in an ideal world, a morning run in our neighborhood might involve a brief stop in the local uh, coffee shop and so on. But for our son, I've discovered that running actually means running. (laughs) And he means to finish the course. On my own, I would have stopped way before we did, but he was determined and we got all the way to the end of our planned route. And as if that wasn't bad enough... He then insisted that we do it all over again the next morning. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I find verse 11 to be quite a surprising verse. If the rest of God, the rest, the eternal rest of God, refers to the place of eternal salvation, to heaven, ultimately to the new creation, it seems strange to me that God in His Word would call us to strive to enter that rest, to push hard, to run hard, to persevere right to the end. I I, I mean, we're gospel people. We, We believe that we are saved by grace through faith and not through any of our own effort, and that's true. And more than that, we believe that once we are truly saved, we cannot lose our salvation, and that's true. But if those things are true, why would we need to strive? surely the Christian can just kind of sit back and relax. We might imagine that we should be able to do that. We might like to imagine that we should be able to do that, but the Bible never says to us that because our salvation is secure in Christ, we should just kind of kick into neutral and coast along in the Christian life until we reach the end. No, perhaps a little surprisingly to us, The Bible insists that the truly saved person will strive to be faithful, will keep running the race of the Christian life with the help of the Holy Spirit, striving to stay true to Jesus right to the very end. Surprising as it may seem to people like us who might prefer to coast, that is actually a mark of the true believer. That is a mark of a person of genuine faith. And so, friends, let me ask you this morning, when you hear the word of God, the gospel of Jesus, when you hear it as you're hearing it even now, does it spur you on to follow him, to trust him, to obey him? Do you take his word in your heart and say, yes, this week by the help of the spirit of God, I'm going to give my all to trusting the promises of Jesus and obeying the word of Jesus. But by the Lord's own help, this is going to be a week during which I press on and don't give up, during which I long for heaven and look forward to heaven, during which I place all my trust in the promises of Jesus with all my failings and all my sins. Despite all the ways I trip up along the race, and we trip up, don't we? Yeah, I want to keep going. I want to keep following. I want to reach the destination. Now, that is the heart cry of the true believer. And I hope it's your heart cry this morning. How should we respond to the Word of God as we hear it? We've got to strive toward the goal. That's the first response, and here's the second. When we hear the Word of God we must draw near to the throne. That call comes right here at the end of chapter 4, verse 16. Notice it with me. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I wonder if you've ever considered how dangerous a thing, how risky a thing it is to be exposed to the living Word of God. To come here like this today and to sit under the preaching of the Word of God, I wonder if you've ever considered the dangers involved. Now, don't worry, the roof isn't about to fall in or anything like that. I don't think we're in physical danger here this morning. But the activity we are engaged in even now, it is spiritually risky. We are at a place of vulnerability when we gather like this under the sound of the Word of God. You see, so often I think we tend to go to our Bibles to find comfort. Very often I'll turn to the Psalms in times of difficulty or pressure, and I want my soul to be soothed. You know, when you're feeling a bit unwell, you want to wrap up in a blanket and have a hot cup of tea in front of the fire. And in spiritual terms, we can sometimes view the Bible a little bit like that, a comfort blanket, a warm cup of tea, chicken soup for the soul. But I wonder if you notice the image that the writer uses in verse 12 to describe and to picture the Word of God. It is living and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. When we were first married, we were given lots of nice presents for the home. And among them, we were given a really good quality German-made kitchen knife. It's a serious knife, eight or nine inches long. And it just glides through whatever it's cutting. We've had it for a number of years now, 13 years, I think, if I'm counting right. And it's as sharp today as it was the day we received it. And over time, we've come to realize that there is a real difference between cheap knives and a really good knife like this. We bought some more knives at a kitchen outlet store a year or two ago. They were, they were nice and cheap. I like that. But they're already blunt and pretty ineffective. The Word of God is sharper than any sword or knife you can buy, sharper than any blade made by the best German or Swiss manufacturer, and it glides through everything, And scarily, it glides right through us. It pierces us as it comes in contact with us, middle of verse 12. It divides soul and spirit, getting to the furthest depths of the human person, piercing to the division of joints and of marrow, and discerning or judging, as that word can be translated, judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And once the Word of God has penetrated to the depths of our being, there's no more hiding, verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Once the Word of God has cut us open, as it were, we lie open as though on a surgeon's table or even the butcher's block, our heart of hearts is exposed to the eyes of the Lord himself. Now, that's very sobering to think about. And it says to us, it teaches us that every time we come into contact with the Word of God, it's a serious thing. It's a serious moment. Our hearts are exposed to God. Our true inmost response to Him is seen. You see, we've just been talking together about the call to strive to enter God's eternal rest. We've been hearing the warning from God's own Word against faithlessness and against unbelief. And that's actually been a significant few moments that we've shared together. But I have very little idea how anyone here in this room is responding to that. I mean, you're all very polite. You're mostly, I think, remaining awake. (laughs) Probably very few of you, very few, are on Facebook or checking your email or reading the news on your phone right now. And if you are, you're doing it very discreetly. Thank you. (laughs) But I have no idea what's going on in your heart. Some will have taken that exhortation to heart. You'll be thinking, yes, I want to strive. I want to keep going. I want to keep trusting and following Jesus Christ in the week ahead. Others perhaps, I have no idea, others perhaps heard that call and that challenge and felt, well, just ambivalent. You didn't really feel anything. Felt uninterested. Others maybe felt resistant in some way or, or uncomfortable. Maybe some even felt a little bit angry to be challenged. I have no idea how you felt. I have no idea how you responded. But God wants all of us to know that He knows how each one of us responded. He sees right through any veneer that we might put on, the veneer of the polite, Bible-believing church attendee. He knows what kind of reception His Word finds in our heart, and it's an unsettling thing to know that. It's an uncomfortable thing to consider that. It's unsettling because He is the rightful judge of every human heart.
1: This is Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, and we're in the middle of a message called God's Promised Rest. We're going to pause right here, but we'll get back to the message in just a moment. Well, here at Encounter the Truth, we want to help you in your walk with Jesus, help you learn more about Him and go deeper in your relationship with Christ. So come visit our website. Not only can you listen to programs you may have missed, but you can check out our newsletter and subscribe to that. You can also check out our weekly devotional. It's called Moment of Truth, and you're going to find that online. Again, visit our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. And while you're there, I want to encourage you to consider a gift of support. We have new opportunities for ministry happening. Doors are opening all the time. We'd love to be able to share Jonathan's teaching and God's word with even more people. You can give a gift online at EncounterTheTruth.org or when you call us at 1-833-99-TRUTH. All right, let's get back to the message. Again, here is Jonathan.
0: Now, at this point, I think we all begin to feel a little bit uneasy after reading verses 12 and 13, if we're not feeling a little bit uneasy, I think there's something wrong. We, we haven't been paying attention or our hearts are really very hard indeed. I'm sure we're meant to feel uneasy as we read verses 12 and 13. We're meant to see that God's Word is not simply chicken soup for the soul, but a sword that opens and exposes the reality of our hearts. But just as Hebrews takes us to that point of real discomfort, he brings in another thought, another image, another reality. He takes us to verse 14, and he shows us that the Lord who judges our hearts, the Lord who sees all that is within, the good, the bad, the ugly, and all the rest, he is the same Lord who is our great high priest. Now, in our Bibles, we see a, a fresh heading and a gap between verses 13 and 14, but those, that's not there in the original. It just flows on without missing a beat, and I think we've got to read it like that. Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. As our hearts are laid bare by the living Word of God, the Lord Himself looks on. And what He sees, well, it may cause us embarrassment. It may fill us with trepidation as we contemplate the judgment of God. But the writer reminds us now that the Lord who sees our hearts is the Lord who has passed through the heavens. That is, who came down from heaven who became man, lived among us, suffered for us, and died in our place, rising and ascending in glory through the heavens to the Father's right hand, where he serves as our great high priest. He has passed through the heavens. He came down. He went back up again. He has crossed that great divide between heaven and earth. And having done all that, Jesus, the Son of God, knows what it is to be a human being. He knows what it is to face the reality of testing, the experience of temptation. While he remained entirely sinless, he still knows our frailty and our weakness, and he is even able to sympathize with us. In verses 12 and 13, if we were to picture the Lord's location in our mind's eye, we would picture, I think, a throne of judgment. That would be natural given the language of those verses. But in verse 16, we're invited to approach him not now in judgment, but in grace. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now, isn't it just wonderful to see what the gospel does here between verses 13 and 14? It tells us that when we see afresh how right we are, to fear God and His judgment. It tells us at that very moment not to run away from God the judge, but actually to run to Him. It teaches us to run to Him because the Lord who is our judge is also our Savior. The Lord Jesus who Hebrews has shown us is seated in the place of supreme authority on high. He is our great high priest. He is the one who died for us. And whoever lives to intercede for us. As we come to him in time of need, at a time when guilt is heavy upon our shoulders, where shame is great, where temptation is strong, where we would cover our faces and sink in despair, we come to him in faith and we find nothing other than the outpouring of his kindness. It's extraordinary what the gospel does. When you and I hear the word of God, what are we to do? What is the right response? Well, it is first to strive toward the goal, not to shrug our shoulders in ambivalence, not to turn our backs in disbelief, but with the help of the Holy Spirit of God to strive every day to keep trusting Jesus, loving Jesus, obeying Jesus, serving Jesus. But as we see our failing and as we see our sin, as the Word of God exposes all those things in all their ugliness and their ugly Our next response is this, to draw near to the throne of grace, to find that the Lord who is our judge is also our Savior, sympathetic, understanding, only too ready to show mercy to sinners, only too ready to give grace in our time of need. And friends, if you've never come to the Lord yourself, and there are going to be a number here, perhaps, and that's the case for you, if you've never responded to this invitation, the invitation to join Jesus in his promised eternal rest, if you know that as he looks on your heart, he sees a whole lot of pretty unpleasant stuff, and if you're inclined to run away rather than address those things, let me invite you instead today to run to him. To come in faith to the throne of grace and find forgiveness and mercy and kindness and a welcome. To find a welcome because Jesus died for you, shed his blood that you might be able to come, might be prepared to come. And if you will but come to him, if you will but ask him, He will show you His mercy. He will not drive you away. He will welcome you with open arms. If you're a Christian believer who has been drifting and doubting and disobeying, and you know you just have not been striving at all, you've been going positively nowhere in the Christian life and maybe for a long time, And actually, as you think of it today, you're ashamed before the Lord of how things really are. You know the truth, but you haven't been living it. The Word of God, it's exposed your heart of hearts this morning, and the experience of that is actually painful. If that's you, you need to make haste to come before the throne of grace, to bow again before Jesus, and to ask Him for grace and help and mercy that he might lift you up, restore you, and enable you to keep walking toward that promised rest, trusting him, following him, serving him. I mentioned earlier that service of Thanksgiving we had on Thursday, and a number here were, were present with us. It was a special time, a time of joy in the midst of sadness. It's sad to mourn, and it can be hard to mourn. But I think it's always good for us to go to funerals and to memorial services. Good, because it prompts us to think again about what's really important in this life. Don't you find that? I always do. I mean, when all is said and when all is done and your own funeral is taking place, what will matter most about your life at that point in time? That's an important thing for all of us to consider and to bear in mind. Will it be your career, your wealth, your achievements in your various interests and passions? Is it those things that will matter most on that day? Well, I think we all know that it won't be those things that matter most. What will matter most at that time when all is said and done? What will matter most is simply this, did you finish life trusting Jesus? Did you make it to the end following him? That was the great theme of our service on Thursday. This believer put her trust in Jesus and followed him right to the end, 99 years, and we were able to rejoice in that and give thanks for that. A race run, a journey complete. And it is quite simply my prayer for each one of us here this morning that we would do the very same thing by the sheer grace and the sheer kindness of Jesus.
1: Jonathan Griffiths wrapping up our message today, God's promised rest. From the book of Hebrews, we've been looking at chapter 4 today, and we're going to continue this series, So Great a Salvation, next time. If you know you're not going to be by your radio, you don't have to miss Jonathan's teaching, though. Just stop by our website. It's encounterthetruth.org. Encounter the Truth is able to stay on the station because you pray for and you give to this ministry. So thank you for giving to and supporting Encounter the Truth this month. And as you give a gift of any amount, we want to say thank you by sending you a book called Faithful God. It's an exposition of the book of Ruth. And Jonathan, what would you expect someone to walk away from this book having gleaned?
0: Well, one of our great challenges when we study the Old Testament is to see how it fits into the bigger storyline of Scripture and into the wider plans and purposes of God. And an exposition like this of an Old Testament book like Ruth is of huge value to us because this is a Christ-centered exposition of Ruth— you know, we may know that the story of Ruth and Outline, maybe we maybe we learned it in Sunday school, but we, we may not know how it fits into the wider plans and purposes of God. And whenever we can be given that insight uh, into a book of the Old Testament, that is a treasure for us. And I think that this, this study of the book of Ruth by Sinclair Ferguson is,
1: is going to be a treasure to you. Well, we want to send you a copy of the book Faithful God, an exposition of the book of Ruth as our way of saying thanks for your support. To give a gift online, come visit our website, EncounterTheTruth.org, or call us at 833-998-7884. That might be easier to remember as 833-99-TRUTH, or again, our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. For Jonathan Griffiths and our producer, Mark Breda, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.